Good morning. It's great singing, and we are so excited that you are watching with us um, via Facebook Live. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6. As we have been kind of advertising just a little bit, uh, dealing with the situations that we are facing in our society and in our world, we're going to be talking about through storms. And uh, the first one is going to be on worry. Then next week we'll talk about fear. We'll take a break as we have Mother's Day. And then we'll come back with uncertainty and end with disaster. And we all have a lot to worry about, don't we? Um, and I'm not just necessarily talking about this pandemic uh, or, or things of that nature. Before all of this happened, many of us were worried about our finances. Many of us have been worried about our health. And I want you to understand that this sermon is for me, not just for you. Um, but if it helps you out, then that's the greatest thing that can happen today. But any given week when we come to worship in God's house or we gather around to worship, all of us are filled with worry. And I want to propose something this morning. There's a global anxiety epidemic going around that is greater than the coronavirus pandemic. I want us to understand that anxiety and worry is, hate, is hurtful, but it's also sinful. If you deal with extreme anxiety, here's what I want you to understand. If you deal with extreme anxiety, it's probably good for you to talk to your doctor about some of those things. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that when we come uh, to the one on fear. But we're talking about defeating the storm of worry. As always, any time that we hear from Jesus, I want us to understand that his words are helpful but if we're not careful, we'll take them as hurtful. And so listen this morning intently what God wants us to do. It's not hard for us to hear this morning. It's going to be hard for us to apply. So before jumping into Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, I want you to notice, first of all, the word worry or anxiety is used six times in this passage. The old English word means to strangle, to choke, or to seize by the throat. The Greek definition refers to being drawn in different directions as to be distracted. So I want you to think about what worry does. Worry literally pulls you in all different directions while it's strangling you emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically. It was also referred to the practice of wolves killing sheep by biting them around their neck and strangling their prey. Not a pretty picture when we think of worry, but that's literally what worry does. Worry ends up taking our time, pulling us in different directions, and the worst thing that it does is it takes our eyes off Christ. When Jesus tells us not to worry, and he does so three times, I want you to understand when he does this in this passage, these are commands these are not suggestions, because here's, here's what we do every time. When we hear the Bible say, do not worry, or somebody says that we shouldn't be a worry wart, we say, well, that's great, but you don't understand what I'm facing, or we give excuses. And I want us to understand this morning, it's time that we stop making excuses for what God calls sin. Someone said this, there are more people addicted to anxiety than to all other addictions combined. Wow, what a statement. So, how will worry defeat us? Why is worry so, so bad? I'm so thankful you asked. First of all, we're going to see four ways that worry defeats us. First of all, worry is a waste of time. Look at verse 25 with me in 26. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink, or about your body, or what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Please get this. 
Who we are is more important than what we wear or what we eat or what we drink. I know sometimes we hear that and we want to send that message out to, to the young people, but can I tell you, as adults, we need to understand it's not all about designer clothes. It's not all about what we look like on the outside. Literally what Jesus is saying, it is important what we look like on the inside. And I love what Jesus does. Is he gives an illustration from nature. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. He's saying, listen, they're not farmers. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. I love this question, and I want you to think about it. He says, are you not much more valuable than they? If God will do that for the birds, if he will feed the birds, I want you to understand, they are not the prime uh, of creation. They are not God's masterpiece. We are. And if God cares for birds that much, just think how much he cares for us. Please listen to me. When we worry, literally we are saying that we're not worth anything to God, therefore He doesn't care about us. And I want you to ask, stand, when you look at this passage, realize that you're more valuable than anything to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ loved you so much that He gave His everything so that you could be His. So we see, first of all, that worry is a waste of time. Number two, worry never changes anything. Please get that. Worry never changes anything. The reason why worry is a waste of time is it doesn't work. Look at verse 27. Some of your translations are going to have, who of you by worrying could add one cubit or an inch to his stature? Literally it's saying, who by worrying can add an hour to their life? Here's what I want you to understand. You can worry all you want, but it won't change anything. Worry doesn't make anything go away. Worry doesn't solve the problem. I think it's funny here that Jesus is saying, listen, you can worry, but it's not going to make you taller. You can worry, but it's not going to make you live longer. In fact, what we'll find out is when you worry, it actually can make you live uh, a shorter life. Worry does give us a lot of things. So let me give you what they give you. Ulcers, migraines. Stress and worry breaks us down. They are unseen sources of our headaches, backaches, heartaches, and belly aches. Worry can give us knotted stomachs, sleepless nights, high blood pressure, low morale. They make our temper short and our days long. They cause indigestion, irritation, chest pain, and muscle strain. Man, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a good trade-off there. And when I worry, I have these things. One doctor said this. Please listen. He says, you do not get stomach ulcers from what you eat. You get ulcers from what is eating you. And the reasons why some of us are so sick is because we have worried ourselves, and you've heard this, heard this, we worry ourselves to death. We literally can worry ourselves to death. John Calvin, who was prone to anxiety, and I think it's very interesting, not only John Calvin, Charles Spurgeon, D.L. Moody, all these great preachers that we hear about or read about, they all suffered from worry. They all suffered from depression. And here's what he said. Those who are extremely anxious wear themselves out and become their own executioners. Well, what does the Bible say about that? Well, Proverbs 12 says, An anxious heart weighs a man down. But I love this. An anxious person gets weighed down, but you know what my job is to do? To bring a kind word to cheer them up. One person wrote this, Don't tell me that worry doesn't help. The things I worry about never happen. It's being sarcastic there. 
And I love Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown is talking to Linus, and he's talking about how stressed he is about school and how he's stressed out about schoolwork, and he's so stressed out that he finally looks at him and looks at Linus and says, even my, my anxieties have anxieties. Friends, worry is wasting today's time to clutter up, clutter up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. It's kind of like I heard about a Christian that was up all night worrying and crying out to God, worrying and crying out to God, worrying and crying out to God. Then he slowly heard God gently say to him, you can go to sleep now, I'll sit up. Now there was a study done by a professor and, uh, who was dealing with anxiety and worry and seeing all the aftermath of that. And you've probably heard this, his research discovered a couple things. It discovered that 40% of the things that we worry about never happen. 30% of the things that we worry about concern the past. 12% are needless worries about health. 10% are about petty issues. 8% are legitimate concerns. So that means that 90% of our worry time is wasted energy as we exert mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual things which are outside of our control. But I want you to hear me. That 8% is actually something that we're not supposed to worry about either. Why? Because when I worry, what I'm saying is, God, you can't take care of me. Or, God, this is even bigger than you. But it gets worse. So not only is worry a waste of time, not only does worry doesn't change anything, the biggest thing is worry attacks our faith. We're not to worry about what we're going to eat or drink or also about what we're going to wear. Look what it says in verse 28. It says, and why do you worry about clothes? Jesus wants us to look at the world he created once again. He says, see how the lilies of the field or the weeds, they do not labor or spin. That word see there refers to studying carefully or learning thoroughly by looking and learning. And many of you know this. If you've ever tried to work outside in a garden or in a flower bed, we all know this. You can cut the grass today and tomorrow weeds will be grown. And it's amazing that God has given us an example of saying, look at these things. These things are not stressed out. These wildflowers are not stressed out. He then takes his listeners all the way to Solomon, who was one of the richest and wisest men and known for his beautiful garments. He said, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Not even Solomon was as dressed like a weed. Then look what he says. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you? And then he makes a statement. Oh, you of little faith. The Living Translation translates this way. You have so little faith. This is where God gets us right here. And I want us to pay attention. Our fears have to do with our lack of faith. If I truly believed like I'm supposed to believe, I would have more faith and less fear. That word more there, when he says that he clothes, he will clothe you more, it literally is from the, the Greek word that means very, very much exceedingly. So think about that. When we look at the birds, when we look at the flowers, when we look at the, the grass, it says that God will do exceedingly, and I love the passage, God will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. But one thing that God does not want us to do is to stress about our life. In fact, in Luke 21, 34, he warns, be careful 
or your heart will be weighed down. And when our heart is weighed down, it'll be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And we all know this. When my heart is weighed down, if I'm overwhelmed with anxiety or worry, everybody likes to run to other things instead of God. People like to run to the bottle. People like to run to other things and say, God, if you really love me, you would not allow this to happen. So God, you must not love me. So I'm going to try this. See, the way to deal with anxiety is by battling that unbelief. John Piper argues that the most basic battle of our life is to battle to believe the living God because the root of anxiety is unbelief. That's why in Hebrews it's so important. In chapter 3, verse 12, it says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Please hear me this morning. When I worry, it is really a battle of belief that God loves me, that God cares, and that God is in control. But then it gets worse. Not only does it, does it attack my faith, it destroys my testimony. If we could say anything during this pandemic, this is one thing I want you to hear. The world has been watching the church. The world has been watching you to see how you respond and see how you handle everything that's being told. Look what it says in verse 31. It says, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? This is very important. He says, for the pagans... The lost run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. One feature of the pagans is that they live for the present, and everything revolves around their pleasure. I think if we're not careful, sometimes that's us. We want more stuff. We want a bigger house, a nicer car, better clothes, all these things. Sometimes we run after things for our children because we want them to be better than other kids. And if we're not careful, we'll seek all those things. And God says, you are just like the pagans. He says, for all these Gentiles, continually, they keep on doing this. Remember in John chapter 6, when we heard about Jesus is the bread of life and how he satisfies he says, you can eat all these other things, but you'll still hunger. And most of us, I hope that you've got to the point when you became a believer that you realize that only Jesus can provide peace. Only Jesus can satisfy. All those other things make you have more worry. Jesus spends, hear me, 10 verses analyzing the addiction of anxiety. Why? Because worry is the ultimate act of rebellion against God because when we worry, we're really saying that God is dead. And if he's alive, he's not able to do anything with my situation. Isn't that, isn't that painful? It's so painful, I'm going to read it again. Worry is the ultimate act of rebellion against God because when we're worried, we worry, we're really saying, God, you're dead, or if you're alive, you do not have the power to handle my situation. Somebody said, anxiety is atheism in action. That is... I know that's difficult. I know that's hard. But I want you to look what he said. The Greek construction there says, For he knows, he that is your father, the heavenly one, knows the things that you need. I need to be reminded every day, I need to be reminded all the time, that God knows exactly what I need. God knows about my marital problems. God knows about my financial problems. God knows about my health problems. God knows about all these things. And what we need to understand is if God knows, that means he cares and that he loves us. 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us to do this. It literally says to take your anxiety, ball them up, and throw them at God because he cares for you. Hear me. 
All of us have a choice in how we handle things that come our way. My response is my responsibility. I can either choose to run after other things or I can choose to run to God. So how do we win with worry? If worry is such a difficult thing, how in the world do we worry? And I'm so thankful that God tells us how. The first thing is to focus on God. Verse 33 starts with the word but, which it shows the contrast between how people live and how we should live. He says the pagans run after all these things, but you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. To seek means to have an intense, single-minded focus, to go after, to strive, and for purpose. It's in the present imperative, which means that the antidote to anxiety is to make a daily choice to seek after God. That means every second I have to choose to seek after God. Every minute I have to choose to seek after God. Every hour I have to choose to seek after God. But church, sometimes we're seeking after all these other things, and then we're wondering why we're miserable, and we're filled with worry, and God says, because you're not putting me first. One person put it this way. He offers God second place. He who offers God second place offers him no place. Why is it so important to put God first? Listen, I love my family, but if I put my family before God, I make God second place, and that's not seeking God and his righteousness and his kingdom. I hope that you're really paying attention this morning, and I know it's difficult sometimes with distractions, but most of us are close to God, as close to God as we want to be, and we're stressed out as we want to be. And the reason all revolves around, am I seeking first the kingdom of God, or am I seeking other things? Number two, trust in God's plan. God's plan is always the best plan. I hope you understand that. God's way is always the best way. In verse 34, he says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Here's what he's literally saying. Don't borrow trouble. Too many of us are frozen with fear over what might happen next week or what might happen next year or what might happen tomorrow that we don't even have enough time to focus on today. And literally what we need to understand is the only way that I seek first the kingdom of God is I have to do it right now. I can't wait till tomorrow. I have to do it in the present. I love the fact that what God promises us about tomorrow, he literally says that his mercies are new in Lamentations 3. He says, Though the Lord's mercies, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What is he saying there? I need to replace that worry with the fact that God loves me. God knows what I need. God knows my problems that I have. And yet his mercy and his compassion, they fail not because he is faithful. Some of us are seeking these things in our life as we worry and we're not getting God's best. I'll tell you this story about a, in conclusion, a story about a little girl with golden bouncy curls. She was almost five. And so she's with her mother at a checkout stand and she at the checkout stand, you know how they do this if you've got children. They put stuff at the checkout stands that the kids want, like candy, trinkets that if you pay for them, they're going to break. And they're these, these white pearls in a pink foil box. They're, they're not real, but, but they're there. And, and the little girl looks at him and says, Oh, Mommy, can I have them, please? Mommy, can I have them? And her mom looks at him and finds out that they're 
The little girl only has a dollar, and so her mommy says, listen, I'll tell you what we'll do. When we get home, I'll give you some extra chores that you can do, and your birthday's coming up, and I know Grandma's going to give you some money for your birthday, and so once you get enough, we'll come back and we'll, we'll purchase these pearls. Sure enough, she did some extra chores. Her grandma showed up with a birthday card, had some money in it, so the girl ran, and she got those pearls. And she was so excited. She was so excited. She loved those pearls. She wore those pearls every day. The only time that she wouldn't wear those pearls was while she was swimming or, or taking a bath because her mother said, if you wear these and get wet, turn your neck green, which that tells you they're not real, right? But Jeannie also had a loving father that every night, would come in at bedtime, and he'd stop what he's doing, he'd read her a story, and he'd ask her every night, said, Jenny, do you love me? She'd say, oh, yes, Daddy, you know that I love you. He said, well, then give me your pearls. Oh, Daddy, she said, not my pearls. You can, you can have my princess. You know the white horse from my collection? He's my favorite. You can have him, but, but not, my, not my pearls. Her dad would look at it and say, well, that's okay, honey. Just know that Daddy loves you. He'd give her a kiss on her cheek and say goodnight. This went on time and time again. One night he said, Jenny, do you love me? And she said, oh, Daddy, you know I love you. He said, well, give me your pearls. She said, Daddy, not my pearls. You can have my baby doll. It's, it's my favorite baby doll. I go with her everywhere. I got her for my birthday. She's so beautiful. You can have her and you can have her matching sleep, sleeper, but just not my pearls. He said, that's okay, honey. Sleep well. You know, Daddy loves you. He kissed her on the cheek and said goodnight. A few nights later, the daddy came in to, to do the same routine, and he noticed his little girl was sitting on the bed, and her, her, her chin was trembling, and she was crying. Tears were running down her cheek, and she, she reached out and said, Here, Daddy, it's for you. And with tears in her eyes and in his, he noticed that she was handling him that little pearl necklace. By this point, the daddy's crying, and as, his daddy, as her daddy reaches and grabs those pearls in one hand, he pulls out of his pocket a little blue velvet case with a strand of genuine pearls, and he gives them to Jenny. And I want you to understand, church, he had them the whole time. But what he was doing is waiting for her to get rid of that dime store stuff so that he could give her the genuine treasure. And too many of us are holding on to this worry. We're holding on to this world. And God is saying, listen, you got to let go because what I have is so much better. Church, will you let go today and give it to God? And what I mean by giving it to God, I don't mean that you just kneel at, the, kneel at wherever you are and say, God, I give this to you, and then get up and pick it back. You have to let it go because the things that God has are so much greater. They're the only thing that can satisfy. But let me ask you, are you holding on to that dime store stuff, that worry, the fear, the frustration, the uncertainty, the not knowing if you are, I'm going to just be honest. You're miserable. You will never have peace until you let go and you let God. So I'm going to ask you this morning, please, and turn everything over to God. Over the last couple of weeks, that's what we've been begging you to do. We've been begging you to make sure that you're in a right relationship with God. Nobody, nobody knows how all this is going to turn out. We may be able to get back to normal. We may not. But can I tell you, if we get back to the old normal where we put everything before God, man, that was so wrong. That's not what God wants. God wants you to completely seek Him with everything that you have. Do you have peace this morning? If not, won't you pray? Won't you ask God to forgive you for holding on to those things? Won't you just let go? 
and let God. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, God, it's so easy to get caught up in holding on to those things that don't satisfy, worrying about things that never come to pass. God, we have to understand that we have a loving Father who, as we learn in this passage, He is He's wanting to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask and think. My heavenly Father is a good Father. He's a faithful Father. He's not going to give me anything that's terrible, that's corrupt. He wants to give me the real thing, that real peace. So Father, as some are watching, some are praying, God, they know this morning. They know if they're holding on to some things. God, I pray right now that you go right into their living room, wherever they're at. God, I pray that you wrap your loving arms around them and you let them know that you love them and that you're so real. Father, forgive us for seeking after things that never satisfy. We love you and we praise you. In your son's name, amen. We're going to ask you to do, we appreciate you watching. But if God spoke to you or you made a decision and some of you have been doing this and we are so thankful, reach out to me. You can text me or you can reach out to our church uh, via Facebook and just let us know what you're going through, what decision you made so that we can pray for you. Please don't forget about the three ways that you can continue to give during this time and be looking on Facebook in the near future for an update from the church about what we're going to try to do as we um, go back to somewhat of a normal schedule. And we'll let you know that a little bit later. But if there's anything that we can do for you, please let us know. We love you. We pray for you. And keep your eyes on Christ.